Hello and welcome back to BizPod. On today's episode, we're doing another Q&A, but this time we will be talking with Anton Winters. Enjoy. Welcome back, listeners. As we've said, it's going to be an interesting Q&A, but yeah, we're going to be focusing on interviewing each other. So this episode, I will be talking to Anton and the next episode, he will be interviewing me. Which it's fun to be on this side of the, the kind of interviewing experience. I've never yeah. done this. I don't think I've done an interview on a podcast before. I've interviewed many, but not done it myself. You've never been interviewed before? Yeah, I think you interviewed me once for a video that you're making about volunteering right. yeah, and charity, but I think outside of that, it's been minimal. Well then, we'll have a we'll have a nice deep dive. I've got some questions here from listeners, so we'll be going over through those and then <laughs> I don't. And then <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to sort of unpack the mystery that is Anton Winters. So tell me a little bit about podcasting itself. Um, when did you get started and how long has it been? Yeah, so when I was incredibly young and naive, I started uh, an MCN on YouTube, a multi-channel network. And as part of that, because all of our creators were going off and doing different things, I thought it'd be great to have a podcast to tie them together. So we did a couple seasons of a podcast and like 2011 and 2012 was the two seasons of that the big gimmick was that it was a 3d podcast because i was like we're going to be the first 3d podcast because that's going right. to really take yeah, off excellent. sony's put four billion dollars into this yep, 3d yep, is yep. the future so you know the 3d podcast was fun and then i stopped that naturally as um kind of wound on the mcn idea for yeah. a while and 3d wasn't as good as i predicted and how long ago was that so that would have been about 2012, 2013. Which was? So that was nine years ago, Um, did that, and that was quite fun. And then mm. in 2016, which is about five years ago, um, I went to a bunch of creator events with some other YouTubers and met up there and met uh, a good friend to this very day, Sean mm. Paul Johnson. Uh, he was starting our, our short film, so do check that out on the, the NACA Media website. And he was kind of starting to grow his own little wee network of content um ended up kind of becoming the host on the podcast and went on to do many different stuff with his studio but uh was a host on a podcast called gamify 24 7 i uh, did that for about two and a bit seasons going in to from 2016 through to 2018 mm. uh met up with uh did the show with him uh there's katrina uh, mcleod which is another fantastic youtuber and mike mcdermott which i still collaborate to this very day yep. he had had uh, tons of experience in the radio world uh as a host and as a producer uh, so he was wanting to get into the podcasting world and kind of the digital side of media creation and you know youtube and all that so uh kind of there was a mutual thing of he had the audio no- knowledge we had the kind of physical online digital mm. knowledge not physical digital online uh presence knowledge uh so did those seasons also did uh, another podcast with them which only did a couple episodes of that before the the company that Sean was doing closed down and then with that closing down me and Mike McDermott went off and was like you know podcasting's fun and um, went off and started um, Nintendo Switch UK podcast uh, that's been running since 20 like December 2018 uh, going strong to this very day after we did that with a good friend Alistair Schrullers which was one of our listeners on the first podcast oh, and wow. was very vocal and stayed up near Mike so that worked out very nicely amazing 
and uh, yeah did that for a year after a year of that we started uh, a patreon uh, there was a surprising amount of support there so that expanded into uh, a couple more shows we ended up doing a show called last call roundup the prequel and expansion chat uh, we do those about weekly which is a lot and then with the founding of naka media lp and yep. 2020 we started up BizPod and, you know, been documenting experiences, as you can tell. And, uh, of course, you're doing A2 Millennials. We've got Popcorn Profile and we've got yeah. a couple of new exciting things coming in the works as well. So some would say that's too much podcasting. I, I think so. There's um, I, I'm definitely starting to repeat myself in a lot of it, especially the retro stuff, because that yeah. stuff's not changing. So there's only so much you can talk about 1977 in gaming and be unique about it. That is very fair. So what was that initial call into podcasting itself? Because it's very, at least from my point of view, it seems very performative. It's very sort of intellectual in ways about I have this thing, I want to record it, I want to say that. Where, where do you think that drive comes from? Yeah, I think for myself, I'm not too bothered about what I have to say. Like, uh, I know some people are like, I just want to get my opinion out mm. there, which is not really my jam particularly. I think it has a, a utilitarian format. So kind of going back originally podcasting was to facilitate a way of bringing our creators together at the mcn uh, and then later you know it's kind of a case of let's you know bring a bunch of hosts together we're knowledgeable about gaming so you know we all had our little bit of specialty on that podcast where i was more focused on the retro katrina was playstation uh sean had had an xbox and then mike was more nintendo so it was kind of like oh there's a perfect balance mm-hmm. there we can strike something there and you know there's gears going there and at that point as a youtuber i was considered just a host talent to be brought in yeah yep. but i ended up collaborating more there and you know i think most of the stuff that i have done has been because i thought i could do it well or chat about mm. well so i think i know retro consoles well let's talk about retro consoles and try and structure that in a way where it could hopefully be kind of evergreen and kind of a little bit informative if you don't know what let's say an amstrad cpc 464 computer is from 1986 yeah so because that's an interesting one because you weren't alive then um so i do feel like there's something with the older generation or a couple generations above us that have this love of this technology Mm. because that's what they grew up with what what then brings you into that retro technology where is the love in there of that yeah i think it's interesting on that show especially because Mike has grown up with all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, so he has the kind of emotive and kind of knows when, f- like, how it felt at that time, although no, not knowing, let's say, the corporate details of uh, Sinclair, uh, Amtrad buying Sinclair. Right. He doesn't know that all happened, but he remembers that, you know, the kind of plus model of the Spectrum came out and it had striking similarities and, you know, right. the company was a lot more stable. But I think for me, it's very much, you know, this is all great media. Um, and you know time and artistry went into a lot of this stuff and unlike film or music or any other art form it's kind of getting thrown away and Mm. I think we've gotten a little bit better with that you know we have the kind of Nintendo Switch NES Online or anything like that but that's Nintendo what about Sega or NEC or Atari Atari where where do you go and find those games and you know they're still fantastic titles and uh, I think many of them still hold up even if it isn't a slightly more coin up play it for five minutes and put it down sort of way and it's a shame it gets thrown away and i think there's a lot of interesting stories both kind of creatively and uh kind of industry and business like which is quite fun to look into yeah well so clearly you've got industry and business knowledge in there not only do you do the nintendo uk 
the Nintendo Switch UK podcast, <laughs> but you also then studied media, film, and media itself. So why would you have not gone to study gaming, or what? What was the choice there? Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. I don't. There's not really much of a space for academically looking at video games. Sadly, mm. um, I think you can do it within of a media course, uh, and I have done that a few times since done all right in those spaces yeah, ludology. um but a lot of the kind of dedicated video game studies are about making video games which i think yeah. being dyslexic and dyscalculic um numbers and coding although i've done a little drives me insane so not my <laughs> cup of tea um yeah. but yeah i find it funny it was like graduating high school and everybody was like oh so you're going off to do video games i'm like nope this youtube gig's <laughs> where it's at i'm going into right. filmmaking <laughs> yeah because well, again that's very presenter -y. you mentioned the word presenter earlier do you find you have a drive to want to be in front of the camera or the microphone in this case um i think it's more so facilitating a means um you know a lot of the stuff i've done is because i've wanted to create content about that uh, ideally, if I could just point a camera at somebody, I would and have. Uh, but especially once it's more YouTube and personality based, uh, and you know that's incorporating and merging that into, let's say, editing. Being able to act in a way where you know what you're editing is something that you can't get out of an actor naturally. So I feel mm. like, especially if it's going to be more spontaneous with just random memes and explosions, uh, hosting it yourself does help in that regard. But I think it has been just. I want to make this. Who right. else can help me? Oh, I'm pretty, pretty reliable. I can trust on me. <laughs> so in that sense, you very much got a vision for the pre-production and the post-production. And so you just fell into production itself. Yeah, to be honest, I think a lot of the stuff I do is kind of, especially in the film side, has been a neat. So, you know, I didn't have a graphic designer or wanting yeah. to do graphic yeah. design. But as a, you know, a YouTuber kind of 12 years ago, you would need a logo, you would need bland mm -hmm. branding, you would need thumbnails. I think that was 2013 before that got given out to non-partners. But, uh, you know, this was all stuff you need. And then over time, just through iteration, got better at it. And similarly, uh, kind of computing, uh, you know, I run a machine which is called Hackintosh, which is very technical and hard and, be honest, to be honest, a pain. Do you, do you want to just explain it a little bit? Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I run a Hackintosh, which is basically like a, a PC that runs macOS, and you have to really hack the macOS to make it work on the the Windows hardware and trick it into thinking it's running on genuine Apple hardware. And you know, I didn't want to do that. That wasn't <laughs> fun. Um, yeah. But you know, in the terms of work that we do, having a good Mac is essential. Uh, I would only edit in Final Cut. I've tried the alternative, not a, not a fan. I know it works for some people. So for me, making and learning how macOS works and kernels and kecks and all that sort of stuff was part of facilitating the process of filmmaking and what we were doing at NAC Media. Right. It's really interesting because, again, uh, we've maybe not quite hit what, what that kind of connection was. So you were already doing the podcast stuff and then already doing the YouTube stuff. What is that sort of extension now? Do you think you still present enough <clears throat> with the two sort of three podcast groups that you're involved in now? Or do you feel that you've still got to want to make more content? Yeah, I think I do. I think there's a, a kind of silliness or throwaway nature I can get when it's just myself. You know, when you can yeah. just record 40 minutes of rambling and bits where you only you know what you mean mm -hmm. you can then consolidate that later uh, whereas in a podcast i think like in many social circles you're kind of mirroring the people around you to a degree 
Right. Uh, so, you know, you wouldn't, the way we would host on this podcast would be much more different if we were on an improv podcast um, and, you know, with a, like five improv majors, okay. uh, you know, we would be acting N- differently. Name three improv majors. Uh, ben Schwartz. Okay. Um, the, uh, ben Schwartz friend. Um, that's, you haven't named Sonic. Him. Okay, that's still Ben Schwartz. <laughs> Um, we can come back to that later. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's an interesting one. So you wouldn't say you like to perform or that you have grown a love for it? I think grown a love for it is not what I would like go out and look for those opportunities. Yeah. I think um, I, for me, like especially in music, the people that I find most inspirational are people that are historically more behind the boards but have done their original stuff so mm. for instance sophie a uh, great producer and then they do their little wee side projects on the side so it is art for the sake of art their main kind of breadwinning opportunities producing for charlie and mm. kim petras and the likes uh, similarly with let's say uh kind of andre young dr dre um they've done thousands maybe tens of thousands of songs as a producer an executive producer but they've done you know three albums in mm. three decades mm. and you know it doesn't matter when it's getting released if the next one takes 20 years it'll take 20 years yeah. and it's you know perfect and they're happy with it but they've got this other stuff going on uh k trada similarly producer yeah. with a teensy bit of music on the side so you're really keen in the music there because i know you've written a little bit of music for our nakamedia stuff when we have, can't agree on music um, so can you talk to me a little bit about the process of making music yourself and, and those loves there? Yeah, music's a funny one because I think out of all the artistic things I've done is the one I've not monetized because I'm not very good at it mm. and I don't understand it. But I think it's really fun. I think music, uh, whereas I think you can translate, you know, a movie or uh, a lot of things like that into, let's say, text, mm. uh, you know, it might get kind of brutally kind of bastardized in the translation. I think music's the hardest one to do that with, especially if it's not got lyrics and a narrative thrill that way. Mm. If it's literally just ambient sounds and you're going for like an ambient soundscape, how do you put that into text? You can give an interpretation of it, but you can't translate that 100% and be like, this is the song now, but in text. So I think music is quite a fun way, or at least to my eyes, to try and convey emotions that I don't know how to convey into text or visually um you know if you just have a stray thought about let's say uh, dysphoria you know you might not have visuals attached to that inherently due to the dysphoric nature of that topic so being able to convey that sonically i I found far more success there and then i just keep it for myself and you know enjoy it yeah well because we've talked about sharing music um and i know that we both have love for music in very different ways Mm. um so how, have you found that music has been really important to your work or, or that it's more like of a personal experience of enjoying other people's creations? Yeah, I think both both ways. Uh, I do love music and I listen to a lot of it, especially traveling and mm. working. And I find, uh, let's say if we're doing graphic design, having music as a kind of trance state is fantastic. But I think music can be and should be heavily integrated into anything video or music. Yeah. I find it kind of, Anything without good sound design can feel incredibly loose. So uh, mm-hmm. that's something I've tried to work as hard as I can on, uh, especially uh, when doing, let's say, a video essay. Not really a format where you would think about Science. music unless you were, of course, talking about the music and the mm-hmm. sound of this project. But you know, going through there and just outlining the key turning points in the music 
establishing what the beat signature is for it. So if you want to get that kind of rhythm in the project, um, can be incredibly kind of exciting to you know capture and carry the kind of emotions of the person more than you can maybe do with mm-hmm. words or maybe at least with my words. <laughs> well, because you talk about this aversion to words, which I know you don't necessarily think in sentences. That's something wonderful mm. that we've found is working <laughs> together. But I think you have you clearly do think and there's clearly a process there. And you have written some really good video essays. So how do you go about organizing your thoughts in creating a project? Yeah, so ideally, you know, I think creatively and uh, commercially, it has a slightly different structure because we need to kind of work to the, the client's need. But if I'm just left to my own devices, what often I'll do is I'll, you know, I'll have the ideas of what I'm thinking about and just kind of in, let's say, a mental melting pot, just all scattered. I don't really know which way they'll go. And then I'll try and find songs that fit fit the tone and structure of it. So I yeah. have like a folder on my computer called Dream Music. Right, it's music yeah. that I just really want to use in our project. And I'll usually skim through it if I've got something personal and mm. see if anything I'm like, that kind of fits the atmosphere of, you know, hollywood in the 1930s or the kind of chaotic nature of this topic um i'll go ahead i'll make like a spreadsheet and i'll kind of put out the signatures and be like okay uh, this bit of the song from like zero four uh zero zero to like zero forty it's kind of a build up and then it kind of goes here and has a bit of a high and it dips here and then it kind of does a breakdown here yeah yeah map out there and then kind of use that as a structure to kind of put in the kind of key talking points i like to kind of separate the visuals and the uh, kind of voice over in quite a lot of instances so then i can you know try and push both to the max so it isn't like i've just got in the the kind of storyboard and the structure just got like a big column of text and then i get in the edit i'm like what am i doing there so yeah, breaking yeah. them down and making sure that all of them are being used to their maximum capacity is ideal. And so is this a structure that you follow for a lot of your video editing? Because that's, I think, a big part of your job, but also of your sort of passions. I think more so for the personal stuff. Okay. I find uh, that is incredibly time consuming. Yeah. And uh, you, you you always joke about it, how you just give me ideas and I go off and work on them. And you got to think about them. I find that going off and working on it isn't really something that can be physically quantified so it's less so done in the commercial side but you know short films and all that sort of stuff that is more so let's just kind of leave it to melt and brew and see how it comes out Mm. Uh, because i think it comes out a lot more organically and whole Uh, whereas you know uh, i think otherwise you get like you know here's there's kind of an intro chunk and then there's a middle chunk and then an outro chunk and, and there's a chunk talking about this um which works and you know i think having that those structures there are good but i feel like if you can just have something that's whole and feels like one kind of organic piece yeah um it's ideally what the the viewer wants because you don't want them to be thinking about the edit you know if they maybe finish watching it and be like oh this was edited and produced very well that's nice but Mm -hmm. during it they shouldn't be like oh that was a cool transition to that next bit Yeah, I know we've both seen work that has had that vortex transition. And if it's not used ironically, it's very cringy. Yeah, get some star wipes in there, <laughs> get, you know, MS uh, kind of movie maker fired up. But yep, yep, yep. Know, that might be the vibe you're going for. Go Maybe. for that early 2007, get uh, hit the bodies, let the bodies hit the floor going. 
Well, I think that's interesting then in that that you've sort of got a lot of different creative processes, but you're clearly very creative, but across a lot of mediums. Um, something we haven't talked about quite here yet is the graphic design work, which you now do, which you sort of brought up before, that again, it came from a place of necessity, but now you're sort of able to enjoy it a lot more. Would you call it an art form or would you call it expression or necessity yeah. still? Uh, I think it started out. Uh, as a necessity also you give me far too much credit uh, <laughs> um yes yeah, definitely started always a necessity but i do really enjoy it as a zen sort of thing you know i can just put some music on it and just sit mm. and doodle yeah. um because i think if it was like say a big you know traditionally in art let's say if it was a drawing you maybe sit down and you're like okay i'm gonna be next drawing's gonna be six to to twelve hours yeah how am I, what, what am I doing there? What's the composition? You get your line out and it's like kind of like, okay, this is planned. But I feel like with graphic design where it's, you know, you're just doing simple shapes, you're doing layouts, you're doing text um, and kind of typography. It's a lot more, you can fiddle around with ideas and it's all about tweaking things and giving little things a lot of meaning. So everything is kind of placed with a purpose and an intention, mm. uh, which is quite fun to just experiment and kind of, just see how things work out and to be honest yeah. i do a lot of stuff that just isn't really got a purpose or i'll just experiment i keep on playing around with what a pro level NACA media logo would yeah. look like because we were all obviously very soft and friendly in our design language <laughs> so i'm like what if it's edgy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's not got a purpose and it's just fun to work through those ideas and you know those might be carried on to future things and yeah it's been fun uh, and especially now that we've got uh depending on when you're listening to this, two new NACA originals out. Can you talk a little bit about then, yes, this this NACA original? Yeah, so it is quite fun because I, when I was looking around, when it, you look at graphic design portfolios, a lot of them are just, here's a compilation of logos I've done and here's like five business cards that I've designed with the logo and a little bit yep. design, uh, identity behind it. But what was really fun was just trying to make posters and mm. something that you could put up on your wall was the goal like i you want that up in a bedroom wall and it to not look out of place yeah well i guess there's an aesthetically pleasing part which comes into art and design mm. but also again your sort of love of movies and posters is kind of bringing those two together would you say yeah because fundamentally sadly uh, as much as we might not want to think it graphic design is very uh kind of intentional and kind of uh, you know it has a purpose you know whereas you have short films that are maybe just all artistic mm. and you know you're following a bird on its way to you know the nest and it's shot really beautiful and has some orchestral music on top of it that could be purely art there's not as much of that in the graphic design world um you know i think everybody in that world does try and fuse every bit of their work with design but you know at the end of the day it has a purpose so it's been fun to try and not do that because uh, to be honest with my start being more uh, kind of necessity mm -hmm. that is how very much a lot of the stuff is is you know this is a logo this is a business card this yeah. is an email signature yeah. uh, this is how it all comes together and this is the, the brand identity so just doing one-off pieces and as well as that pushing the NACA media brand guidance as far mm -hmm. as possible or color palette or window and all that sort of stuff has been fun because that's content that you came up with as well these aren't parameters that have been necessarily externally set it is more the parameters that you have set and then this is a new challenge to it absolutely because I, I think especially even on the uh, our instagram you know we do our design posts mm. every third post at naka media llp um but you know there are you know a standard practice and you know there's somewhere it's like i you know that's similar to one we've done a wee bit back yeah. and that's 
purposeful. You know, we've tried to build a strong brand, brand identity so that yes, consistency yes. is useful. But, you know, even the, the idea of the window, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can use that and can manipulate that element. And the color palettes, you know, we usually stick with white as our main color and then use red, uh, kind of Venetian red as an accent. So being able to, you know, push that further, then mix that with some Persian green as an accent. It's like, oh, now we're kind of in a mm. weird, wonderful world. And yeah, I think there's one of the, the pictures in the, the kind of collection, you know, has one of those windows and there's like a planet coming out of it and a space rock. And it's like, okay, I think I've pushed it too far here. <laughs> and so do you think you have succeeded in your sort of attempt to make something people would put on a wall, as you call it? Um, I think that's up for, for other people to decide. Okay. I, I'm okay. quite chuffed with it. I think yeah. there's somewhere I just, especially if I'm kind of looking at it on my iPad and it's like a nice sizable screen, yeah. I'm like, oh that's that's fun i i like yeah, that gradient yeah. i like that's um but to be honest i don't know if other people look at that as a whole or as mm. oh, i like that gradient <laughs> it's interesting so do you think you will be putting it up on your wall um i don't have any more walls i, okay, I, collect, I, I collect too many video games for walls <laughs> that's true that's true we'll put them on your ceiling oh yeah i can look at them yeah. you know it has the fun space vibes i could go for that space vibes nice nice um if you give me a minute, I need to think up more no questions. No worries. I'm just going to sip my coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want it straight, actually. Have you run out of coffee? Oh, well, I'll make one after okay. the episode. I'll grab some water if you... Oh, it's all good. Something. Okay. Traditionally, I just do all of the Nintendo stuff without a single break. I do it in two podcasts back-to-back, no break, uh, okay. no intervention. All right, that's fine. So we've talked a little bit about the creativity and that creative process itself. Um, I think what's something that I find interesting in getting to know you and working with you is that your approach to work is very different than I my approach to work. Mm. Um, so I would love to know a little bit about, because I would, I would class you as a workaholic, but how do you feel about your own approach to the creative work that you do? Um, yeah, to be honest, I think... I've had a couple people call me a workaholic or something along those similar yeah. sort of lines, but I, I don't really feel it that way because I okay. do generally enjoy all the stuff yeah. I do. I think if I wasn't, I would definitely not be the workaholic, maybe a little bit less. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think there is an element of, you know, really making the most of all you have. Um, You know, I wasn't the richest growing up. I wasn't the poorest growing up. Uh, maybe a little bit on the poor side, but, you know, um so i think there's an element of there are a lot of people that you know just get better opportunities whether that is um you know their dad works at this really cool place and then mm. they get like a kind of internship right off high school or uni yeah. uh that's something that i didn't really have so being able to you know make sure that you go the distance and prove yourself um it's fun and you know it's interesting though that uh despite being quite young i think i'm going for uncharted territory for my family like mm -hmm. nobody's on a business nobody's even graduated uni in my family so it's fun to kind of be at that edge and be like all right i did a lot better than i thought yeah. like this was the goal but uh, nobody else had done this before me especially in the area that i grew up with most of those people are still there and probably yeah. will never leave and their children will be there uh so the fact that i've made it right here where you know we've got at uh, naka media lp we've got nsu kp limited and you know very happy and incredible friends which yeah. to be honest some of the people i knew yeah. the fact that i found so many incredible people to surround myself with is like a great privilege and i'm just like okay i'm 23 right now hope still got another what 
Let's say eighty years. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. I'm sure. going for a hundred. Okay, going triple figures. Nice. And and would you would you then say that you are successful? And and how would you classify success for yourself? Yeah, I I think I am successful. I think other people will have their own different measurements of success yeah. uh, and what it means to be successful. I know some people success is like impossible until they're forty and they've you know had their kids. And they've got yeah. the house and they've got yeah. all that. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will be 60 working minimum wage and a job they hate and a house they don't own. Mm. And I think that's a lot of that is the world that we grew up in. It's just so hard to get opportunities. You can be so disadvantaged to start out with. And, you know, they get up every day and they, you know, they're living their life and they're happy and they've got their partner and, you know, they've got they get some time to themselves and they enjoy those moments. So I think right now where I've got a little bit more than that situation that I've just described, uh, I should take uh, a good degree of, you know, ownership and, you know, just enjoy that and, you know, signify that, you know, I'm very privileged and I've got a great situation right now. Mm. And that's not to be, uh, not appreciated. And so do you feel proud of where you are? Um, yes, I, I think I would. Um, I think there's been a lot of opportunities that I've been afforded, thankfully. Uh, some just due to where I am in a first world country as a, a white male that is straight passing. Yeah. Uh, there's others where I think if I hadn't been, you know, creating short films since I think the first one I've got a date on is like 2004 and it was like an animated thing in Pivot. But, <laughs> you know, all that's awful, but yeah. it's yeah. fundamental and that plus YouTube has given me a, a starting point and, you know, that's something that I've been able to build it off of and you know when you know first doing some of our creative jobs yeah. you know uh, in university I was like oh I have like technically like a decade plus of experience in this world and you know I've been editing for years and I, I know especially in that first year where it was uh, you know here's a camera here's yep. a tripod yep. having a lot more than that you know I think I had a home studio uh, in like 2016 in my bedroom and one wall was entirely a green screen the other one mm -hmm. had the bed chest of drawers yeah, wardrobes lighting and um, you know it gave me a little bit of advantage and you know it's through working all the time at that yeah. age yeah. i'm now able to get some more opportunities now or slightly further ahead than i i would expect right so do you do you feel that your work defines you or that you define your work um i think partially I think it does define me. Uh, I think to me, it'd be like, no, I define my work because the work's not me without me. But I think <laughs> uh -huh. a lot of the people that know me now, yeah. and uh, I think for many of the people why they would want to know me mm -hmm. is because of the stuff that I do as a person. Um, you know, I'm not, for other people, I am Anton, I, the person who has NACA Media and the company and works with Louise and you know, that's part yeah. of the picture of how they know me. Yep, yep. That's so fundamentally, <laughs> when they think of Anton Winters, that's inherently part of what they think of. Mm -hmm. uh, sadly, they don't know me from tennis or anything <laughs> fun like that. <laughs> yes, um, they don't know the Anton Winters that likes to go for walks. Uh, yeah, walking that, Winters. That doesn't define me. Sadly, my my, my calves are not <laughs> holding up the the its end of the bargain. That's very fair.
Um, do you feel that if, if you had to completely leave all of this creative work that you've done and properly restart, you know, you got banned from the internet, say, mm. what, what do you think would be that next either slightly creative but analog pull or just what would be a different area of work that you're drawn to? Yeah, so kind of work outside of, you know, running... Or anything digital. Anything digital, anything business. Oh, that's that's a so tough one. You can still one. be creative. I'll allow you that. Okay, so yeah, because that's tough. Because even the business stuff, that was like part of the MCN when I was like yeah. in my parents <laughs> or in living with my parents. But yeah, it's a hard one. I think, I guess possibly radio if that doesn't merge <laughs> into it. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, even then, all of the media now is so digital. So yeah. Um, yeah, it would have to be. Yeah, I, I could not see that world. I sadly, see that world. So there's there's nothing else exterior that draws you that you feel you haven't already attempted. Yeah, I could maybe, you know, yeah, I think that's. that's I am it. just a, a okay. video audio boy. But you've you've been doing a lot of drawing again recently. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I, I basically, I did what, tons of drawing. What don't you do, Anton? <laughs> uh, I don't know how to cook. <laughs> I'm cooking. Uh, um, I, I eat to survive okay. and it's all waffles and frozen garbage and a little <laughs> bit of uh, George Foreman okay. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry but yeah this, this drawing you've been oh, doing yeah it's literally just a, a hobby nothing uh, meaningful and to be honest I didn't actually I only shared one piece recently uh, on my Instagram feel free to check it out and if it was an incredible piece and well, very it. much meaningful it seems to me yeah oh, yeah I, I like i'm trying to give my the stuff i do draw a little bit of meaning mm -hmm. and intention because especially if you're doing it for a while you start to think about it a lot uh so you know i did one piece that had a uh, kind of two uh kind of uh, sex workers kind of uh, being very friendly to a child and just like giving them a little bit of change uh, and they're kind of dressed up as a little bit of a dinosaur and you know when you're drawing something like that you can't help but think about it and you know imagine it's like okay yeah. what's this person this person's what's this person's story why were they dressed away like this what have they done before what would they be going to do why are they standing in this location what mm -hmm. is this location mm -hmm. and you know you build that world as you do it and kind of embody it with meaning whether or not that kind of gets conveyed in the final image, you know, it's like a little bit like abstract art. You know, yeah. you could spend four hours on this kind of beautiful dot that has spirals coming off of it and, you know, came up with this great lore and cinematic universe for it. But whether it gets conveyed mm. uh, on the other end is kind of the, the hard part. And, you know, doesn't, you know, that's where the, the kind of true artistry comes is if you convey a consistent and tell your story meaningfully. And that kind of has any residence. You know, you could do something a little bit mundane. And whether that has value is up to, to other people to decide. But if you enjoy it yourself, that's all good. Yeah, so would you feel that all of the, we'll call it media that you create of all the different forms, do you feel that they all have their own inherent value? Or do you just feel it's the ones that you give value? Because I feel like client work inherently has a value yes. but is it does it have that value for yourself does it still hold value because it's work you've created yeah because to be honest i think even outside of the actual art you make especially if it's something that you do over a span of time you know if you're spending like four months on a project even if it's something you're not the most engrossed with as a text it builds up its own stories as you as a creator so 
you know, there's a lot of stuff where we can, you know, see the footage and there's a day that we can remember. It's like, oh yeah, that was in Dunbar and, you know, the sun was out and got slightly sunburned and then there was coffee that smelled funny but was still kind of tasty. <laughs> you know, that's a story that <laughs> oh, even if the, the project wasn't something that you mm. loved, you remember that as a person. And I think especially now revisiting some of the older stuff, especially if it's showing it to somebody who hasn't yeah. wasn't there at the time it's like oh did you know like behind that <laughs> i was like wearing like this incredible gown <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's really interesting um so so you'd say that it's that personal connection to the work that you've done yeah i think so and i don't know if you you feel the same louise but mm. it is it is fun to just revisit stuff and be like there's so many stories here that you know maybe only have value to you but you know the story behind that and just watching it even if it's not a piece that you enjoy the most you're like mm. oh yeah i remember that film where i had my hand stuck in a pringles can that was a fun day <laughs> well, i think even just behind the scenes has an inherent um sort of uh lifting lifting of the magician's curtain element to it um and so do you feel that you get extra insight from the sort of memories and connections or is it much more of a personal thing because you're working with these people to make this incredible thing? Do you think it's an interpersonal connection or is it far more your own individual personal connection? Uh, I think both because I think there is some cases where there is just some older pieces uh, that I've created now where I yeah. revisit and I'm like, I really enjoyed that. How, yeah. how did that come to be? What was the materials? What was the atmosphere? And, uh, you know, some of that is just the environment that you made it in. You know, there was a... A summer where I just stockpiled some money and I was mm. just like you know what I'm just going to enjoy life for a bit and you know I think back to some of the work I did there and some of it was a bit rushed some of it was fantastic yeah, yeah. Uh, some of it was like I spent a week on and it just didn't work I remember there was one video I made and the recording wasn't the greatest and I was like determined I'm like you know what there's some good bits yeah, in here yeah. and I just spent like four months editing it and trying to make it work and it just didn't work and then there's stuff that you do literally in a day and it just clicks yeah. both for yourself and for you know Not maybe either. the algorithm just like grabs hold of it it's like i like this one mm -hmm. <laughs> so what what is then that next step of success for you where where does if you feel that you are successful now where does success lead you and or where do you lead your success yeah i think it's just trying to create venues where i create work where i'm like wow like, mm. you know, sometimes there has been stuff where I'm like, I want to rewatch that over and over again. Like, I know what I like best. Yeah. And, you know, I think being able to just try and create something for yourself, because I think there is a lot of work out there in the world where people, you know, they're following the, you know, standardized procedure for creating that thing or, they, you know, they're kind of doing it in parameters. And, you know, I totally understand that. That's part of what we do quite often. You know, we all have parameters in the work we do, but... Yeah creating venues where i can create stuff where i'm like that has been made exactly how i want it like mm. i wouldn't change anything um which is quite fun I, I do miss just having spaces especially for filmmaking uh where it's like you know what we're spending four hours to get yeah. this shot right because it matters yeah. to ourselves do, do you find that you're often very critical of your work post completion yeah i hate most of it <laughs> Oh, but you said you were proud of it earlier. How yeah. does that work? Well, like there's some pieces where I'm like, I like that, but yep. I can poke holes in everything. So I think right. I, it's hard to rewatch things, especially if okay. I've just finished it because well, I you, know well, yeah, spent so much all time of the time. I know all of the compromises that were made. Right. Um, okay. And I think that's just inherently part of it where I don't think you can get anything perfect, but I would like to try. Okay. <laughs> and um, I, it does suck sometimes just exporting something. I mean, like, 
oh, that's incredibly well paced. I love it. But we had to cut that scene short. Right. Yeah. And that that's a, a pain. So. So the memory of what could be is what is hurtful there. Indeed. Yes. Like um, uh, yeah. I think just trying to get perfect would be ideal. It kind okay. of goes back to what I was saying a little bit about the the music stuff there. Like I really enjoy, especially Andrew Young. Mm. You know, he put like. 10 15 years into some of those records and you know if it wasn't done it wasn't ready it's still not done like he, there's one album he's been working on since like 2001 will it be ready will it be finished will it ever get released most likely not but uh i would like the idea of once it's released that is exactly how they wanted it they weren't getting it out for holiday they weren't getting it out for christmas uh it's just art for the sake of art he's already a billionaire so he doesn't need yeah. the money he's just putting out what he thought was a perfect album and you know i might hate it but i like that kind of creative uh, yeah. purity there so when when do we expect to see um your creative purity or do you feel that it is already in a lot of your work um i don't think so i don't okay. think so i think everything i've done has had some form of limitation okay. um and the stuff that hasn't has had a scale to it because mm. uh, i think that's uh, the hard thing is you know you could get like a billion dollar budget for your movie but if you didn't deliver that movie for the holiday season, you know, yeah. Disney's going to be at your front door. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it's almost impossible. Okay. Uh, but I think getting as close to that as possible would be ideal. And, you know, that's a, a search that I think could keep me busy for a wee while. That's very fair. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there's, any, I don't know if there's anything yeah. else we want to say on that. I feel like that's been a good chat. Yeah, we're we're at forty one minutes yeah, or so. Yeah, do we want to do the usual roundup at the end? Um, yeah, sure. You okay. want me to take this or shall you? Uh your call. I'll take it. So hopefully I haven't rambled too much, Louise. Not and at um all. if you everybody tunes into the next Q and A, you'll be in Calf in stock, ready network. to go with uh, an interview of Louise, mm -hmm. which will be very exciting to dig into that <laughs> big brain, get all the deets. That big smooth brain. Yes, and uh, have you been interviewed at all? Yes, I was on the Dr. D's social network um, where we talked a little bit about politics and, and Scotland in general. Um, that was brilliant. And then um, I can't exactly remember. But there has been a few things where I've sort of gone over my story a couple of times, especially when I was doing student president stuff. You've sort of got to straighten out your timeline. And then coming to uni, you've got to straighten out your timeline. Um, but it's really wonderful for me to get insights into you. Oh. <laughs> so that I know you a bit more. All of the kind of scattered random bots that have no cohesion. <laughs> it's much more cohesive than you think. But if you have enjoyed this, make sure to share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcast or is it iTunes? Yeah, Apple Podcast. And yeah, any feedback you have would be great. Indeed. And if you want to get in contact, you, you can get in contact via the olden email mm -hmm. info at nakamedia.co.uk. Alternatively, you can get in contact with us on social medias Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. That is at Nakamedia LLP. Wonderful. Bye for now. Au revoir. <laughs>